This is Galatians 5, 13 and 14. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let me pray before we start today. Father, we thank you for the love that you have given us. We pray that we can just discuss that for a few moments and the freedom that it brings us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Freedom has always been kind of a paradox. Um, We could ask it this way. What are we really free to do? What are we free to do? That's what we're talking about. Freedom and love. Somebody calls me up, says, hey, you want to golf? Absolutely. I'm free. But am I really free to play golf? Am I really free? Can I walk into the clubhouse? Can I just grab a set of keys to a cart? Can I grab a set of clubs from somebody else's trunk in the parking lot and roll my way to tee box number one, regardless of who's there, and just swing away? Not really. No, I heard it over there. No, right. That's the right answer, right? Yes. There are fees to pay, right? There are clubs to buy. There are times to arrange. And if I exercise this freedom that I may have excessively, then at one point or another, there will be uniformed people that show up and relieve me of my excess freedom for a while, right? That's how it goes, okay? Or we could, we could say it this way. Are, are you free to drive? Absolutely. I mean, if you have a driver's license, right, then you're free to drive anywhere, right? Okay. How about driving the wrong way down a one-way street? Free to do that? Sure. How about driving in the left lane for a while? Are we free to do that? Sure. Those stoplights are kind of a nuisance, right? Just ignore those, right? Because I'm free to do that. And I'm kind of impatient. I need to get there quickly. So it's a 70, but I'm going to go 95. And I'm free to do that, right? And in one sense, absolutely, you're free to do that. But there's a point where your freedoms will jam up the freedoms of other people. And it will jam up your own freedom. So let's step that up a notch. As a Christian following Christ, am I free? That's what Paul says in this passage. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Am I free in Christ to do whatever comes to my head? The same answer is true, right? Surely not. No, no. But that's why most people don't buy into Christianity. Because they don't equate Christianity with freedom. Christianity, in a lot of people's minds, is an authoritative system of do's and don'ts, backed up by, you know, a big, oppressive, heavenly thumb. And it's easy to see that if we define freedom in this way, as being unimpeded to do whatever I want, and we'll throw this caveat in there, as long as I'm not hurting anyone else, you've heard that, right? If I define freedom as being unimpeded to do whatever I want, as long as I'm not hurting anyone else, then I'm free. You've heard that. That's a common value in our culture. I'm free when I'm free to participate every once in a while in elections. And I'm free when I'm free to do whatever suits me in my private life. That's what makes me free. And that's 
a negative freedom. Do you notice it's always a freedom from something? I need, I need freedom from rules. I need freedom from standards, from judgments. And we say it this way. This is another way we, we uh, put this. Everyone is free to follow their own heart, right? That's the way we say it. Uh, even yesterday, as I was thinking about this all week, I uh, was behind a car, and the sticker on the back windshield said, Free from religion. That's our culture. Now, that's absolutely possible. It's absolutely possible to have that kind of freedom if there's no God. John Paul Sartre said this way, If there's no God who conceived us, then we are what we conceive ourselves to be. And so Hitler is no more right or no more wrong than Mother Teresa. Both are free to be who they want to be. But if there is a God, then we are not really free to do whatever we want. We are bound by the fences that God puts around us. And yes, sometimes those fences can seem a little ridiculous to people who are, have not accepted our ways of living, right? You might have a dialogue with somebody and you, they, they might say this. You mean, you mean, wait a minute, you mean in order to be a Christian, I have to start doing that? You mean in order to be a Christian, I, I have to give that up? Man, I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty sure that what you're asking me to do is put on a straitjacket and at the same time you're telling me that that'll help me live my life better. I'm not sure I buy that. And very often, we don't help matters because our response is, oh, absolutely, you have to give that up. Yes, that's what it means. And when we do that, we're coming at freedom the wrong way. And it's a big reason why people don't become Christians. Because they see Christianity not as a freeing thing, but as a restrictive way of life where freedoms are lost. And so let's talk about that, okay? The Bible, from beginning to end, has freedom at the heart of it. The Bible spills over with this kind of language of freedom. John eight thirty two. you can finish it with me. The truth, Jesus says, the truth will set you free, free. John 8, 36, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Luke 4, 18, Jesus says, I'm the Messiah, and the Messiah has set, come to set the captives free. Paul, here in Galatians, says it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Probably the best uh, picture is to go back to the Old Testament. And find a God who comes to the people of Israel as they've been enslaved for hundreds of years. And he says, I will be your God. You will be my people. I'm going to lead you out of slavery into freedom. And there's this whole great saga and story about how God made that possible. And so here's the word today. Here's, here's the word. Christianity is absolutely synonymous with freedom. Because sin, when we are caught up in it, leads to slavery. Just like the Israelites in the, in the land of Egypt. But salvation, when we are offered that, it is all about freedom. Salvation equals freedom. And Jesus came to set us free, to make us free. And following Jesus is the key to the freedom that everyone is really chasing after. That's 
That's my truth today. That's what I want to challenge you with. And let's talk about that because people don't tend to see it that way. When we're challenged about Christianity restrictive, restricting freedom, we, we're, we, we're told, I, I don't want to be a Christian because I don't want to give up this or that. I don't want to have to start doing this or that. And you know those, you know the list, right? That's pretty common. Everybody knows the list. And when we get that kind of dialogue going, our response can't be, well, you just need to obey. I understand how you feel, but you just need to obey because that's our gut response. Man, that's, maybe you've responded that way, and it's normal to respond that way. Why? Because we believe we've been taught for so long that's our only choice. That's the only response we have. And can I give you another option today? Another way to respond. I want you to consider this as an option. When you're in a dialogue like that, I want you to say uh, something like this. What you think is freedom really isn't. And what you see as confining is really the freedom that you're after. Okay? And let's, let's talk about it. What, what, what is that? I mean, here's Paul. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is filled in this one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, if we were to paraphrase it, Bob Dylan, the great theologian, has done a great job. He says you've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. So let's take this in two parts. What you think is freedom really isn't. In other words, Paul says here in this text, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Your freedom is not about what, being able to do whatever you want. You think that's true freedom, but it's not really. And when you operate that way, your, true, your freedom fails by the very terms on which it's built. Um, Tim Keller helps us here with the failure of the modern definition of freedom. And he lists three specific ways that I want to go through that this fake freedom fails, this popular notion of freedom, the I can do whatever I want kind of freedom. It fails for three reasons. Number one, if everyone is really free to do what they want to do, presumably because there's no God, then a direct result of that is that I can never challenge anyone's actions on any grounds whatsoever and the concept of justice falls apart. Sandy, I think I have that on an outline there. Pull that up. And uh, that's number one. We could put that another way. When you suppose that someone else is doing something wrong or destructive, when you subscribe to this way of freedom, you can never correct them. And it doesn't matter if it's somebody you love. It doesn't matter if it's a kid. It doesn't matter if it's an adult. It doesn't matter if there's the majority out there doing something that seems to be injustice. Uh, You have to give the right up. In order to challenge anyone's actions, and the, the reason is simple, because you never know if any action is really wrong. When we subscribe to this definition of freedom, that I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, then by necessity, other people get that same license, don't they? And their freedoms, their license, their whatever I want to do will invariably be different from yours. And no one under this framework is allowed to determine who's wrong and who's right. Who's wrong is wrong. Who's right is right. And there becomes no basis or foundation for whose freedom is okay and whose isn't. And if you demand this kind of freedom, 
The first honest recognition you have to come to, you have to make, is that you've just given up your ability to challenge anybody about anything. Now, I've never been in a real fight, right? Uh, went to a Christian college. Not, not many fights there. They were about scripture, you know, not, not with fists. But this, this is a line that some of you might be aware of. The freedom of your fist stops where the freedom of my nose begins. Right? And you'd probably agree with that. If I land, you know, a, a right hook, you'd say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Your fist is free, but my nose is free too. And there's got to be a line somewhere. But in this system, all the lines are taken away. All the lines are removed. And when you give up all the lines in the name of freedom, I want you to watch what happens. All of a sudden, we can't help the oppressed anymore. All of a sudden, we cannot reach out to people who have been abused. All of a sudden, we can't be servants to people who are victims. Why? Why do you say that? Because who's to say that they're oppressed? Who's to say that they've been abused? Who's to say that they're victims? I mean, you see the logic that is every, if everyone's free, then the person who is oppressing is free to oppress, right? And who's to, te- to say that they're wrong in that? No one can challenge anyone. Now, if there's one trump card in this setup. Oh, but we can denounce or restrict somebody's freedom if they're harming somebody else. That's the tr- trump card that is played. The problem is, whose judgment are we going to use to determine that? Who's to say who was hurt and who was harmed and who gets the authority to determine when a line is crossed? Because, see, we took the lines away and now we want to draw certain lines back in. And if if we're all free to do whatever we want, then we don't get to draw any lines back in. And that's kind of the point. A system like this is not freedom. It's chaos. It's chaos. Now... I can see the deer in the headlight looks at me. That's a philosophical argument. I get it. Uh, It's kind of fun, practically, to have a discussion like that. But nobody really presses it to its its extreme. They just kind of bat it around, hoping that it won't be picked apart. Here's more serious. Number two, this way of operating, this way of freedom, this definition of freedom fails. Because doing whatever you want doesn't work with the human heart. The human heart falls apart when we operate this way. The claim, I'm free, and I can do whatever my heart wants to do. I'm just going to follow my heart. There are even songs that we write about this. Follow your heart. It'll never steer you wrong. You know, you'll be the happiest person in the world if you just follow your heart. Man, that's pretty easy to tear through because all I have to do is just look at my own heart. And when I look inside my own heart, I see this. I see a very efficient factory of contradictory desires. There's all kinds of stuff going on in there. My heart tells me so many different things depending on the time of day and the time of week and the time of year and what the weather's like and what I've had for lunch and what cat video I watched on YouTube just now. How do I follow which thing my heart is telling me to do? Here's one thing my heart tells me. Dusty, I want you to live a long life. I want you to live a healthy life. One that is fit. I want you to live a life where you're toned, dare I say, 
I want you to be chiseled, right? That's what my heart says. And at the very same time, I open the refrigerator door and my heart says, wow, that cookie dough looks awesome. That's, that looks, there's a steak in there. Oh, say no more, say no more. Ice cream for lunch. Well, if I have to, right? That's what your heart does. And do you see how this kind of freedom breaks down? We want so many contradictory things. And freedom can't be defined as doing whatever I want because I have conflicting desires. I don't even know what I want. Even in those conflicting desires, I'm going to make a choice in my own heart about which is better, which is right, which falls in line with who I am, which choice ultimately harms me and which choice ultimately helps me. And we put our decisions through all kinds of filters and therein lies the point. The minute we use those filters, the minute we make judgments about the contradictory desires, even in our own heart, then by very definition, we are not free to do whatever we want. Because we're admitting that there are some choices that we're not free to make if we want to live a certain life. You're saying, oh, wait a minute, you got philosophical on me again. Let's, okay, all right, here's something that can help. This, uh, this is a picture of a goldfish. And uh, we're going to call this guy Fred, okay? This is Fred the goldfish. And Fred understands what we're trying to grasp instinctively. He doesn't even, I mean, his little goldfish brain gets this. He doesn't even have to think about it. And let's just ask this question. When is a goldfish free? When is a goldfish free? Well, it's in a little bowl there. Is it free? I mean, maybe... If the goldfish were to jump out and escape its confines, maybe it would be free. Would you, would you declare when a goldfish jumps out of the bowl and onto the sofa or onto the rug and it's flopping around there gasping for breath, would you then look at it and say, oh, it's finally free. Good job, Fred. You're free. No. Nobody would do that. A fish is only free when it's in the water, because it was built for the water. See, here's the myth. Freedom is doing whatever we want. Here's the truth. Freedom is to wholly want to do what we were designed to do in the environment in which we were meant to do it. The fish is free in the water. It's liberated when it's in the right environment. Where is our heart the most free? When are we the most liberated? What environment is a Christian called into so that freedom is the result? Paul says here, you're called into love. To love. The fish doesn't have those competing desires like we do, so he's free. He, he doesn't even think about jumping out of the bowl, right? Unless it's an accident. You've had that happen. But we are enslaved because we do have these conflicting desires and we're doing whatever we want. We're constantly jumping out of the environment that would set us free instead of desiring to remain in the environment that we need. And Paul gives us that environment. It is love. Don't use your freedom to destroy your environment, which is love, because real freedom is always compatible with love. And that's failure number three. 
when we, when we adopt this I-can-do-whatever-I-want kind of freedom, our love falls apart every time. I want you... Uh, I'm, first, let me say this. Jesus and Paul were single people, okay? So everything that follows... Uh, This is not a better or a less than, greater than. Uh, Jesus and Paul were single people, and without single people, we don't have a Savior, and we don't have the New Testament, okay? So how many of you are single people? Yes. Wonderful. Okay? I want to ask you something as a single person. Um, What's your plan today? Anybody? Yeah, there it is. Man, it came. It was quick. Man, it's like he read my notes. Whatever I want. That's the plan of a single person. I'm going to go home. And you know what? I'm going to pull over on my way home to the side of the road because there's a turtle in the ditch. That turtle's trying to get across the road. So I'm going to get out of my car and I'm going to help that turtle cross the road. And... While I'm going across the road, I'm going to paint little daisies on the, on the shell. And I'm going to sing to it. You're such a great turtle. And I'm going to let it go on the other side of the road. Why? Because I'm single. I can do whatever I want. Right? Okay. Let me go back to how many of you are not single? Yes? Not less than. Not greater than. Okay. All right. I want you to go back to your single days. As a married person, go back to your single days. Did you like the what I, I can do whatever I want days? That worked pretty well, right? If singleness afforded us that kind of freedom, that kind of, man, I can help a turtle across the road kind of schedule. Here's my question. What happened? What happened? You, you know the answer to that. He happened. She happened. Mm. And all of a sudden, tell me about the change that happened when she came into the picture, when he came into the picture. All of a sudden, your life, without any notice whatsoever, changed. And there were things that you all of a sudden weren't free to do anymore. Dear, turtles can cross the roads themselves. We have to get to my parents' house. Right? All of a sudden, there are things that you're not allowed to say. Well, I don't really like the Jayhawks. Uh-uh. Mm, uh-uh. Mm, uh-uh. Mm. Maybe during football season, but mm. Mm-mm. There are places that you weren't allowed to go. Oh, five guys. Why? Because Whole Foods is down the road, right? Okay. All of a sudden, you're not free anymore. At least you're not free without checking in first. And this isn't even marriage that we're talking about. We're talking about even dating. There are freedoms that aren't there anymore. Why? Because there's someone else to consider. And your care, your concern, your support is suddenly greater for him. It's greater for her than five guys or turtles or a sports team. Here's the heart of the matter. There came a day when your freedoms were all of a sudden, hear me, hear me in this and write this down. Your freedoms were all of a sudden freely sacrificed. 
Why in the world would you do that? And there's only one answer. And Paul tells us here, love, love. The popular notion of freedom fails because it's always defined as independence. Independence is incompatible with love. Independence says, I can do whatever I want. Love says, never, no. Let me do what you want. Love says, you're more important to me than my schedule. Whether you're single or married, that's what love says. And as long as you follow this line of freedom, I can do whatever I want. You'll never be able to love fully because you'll never bend to anyone's heart but your own. But if you love, and remember the words of Bob Dylan, everybody loves something, right? You've given your heart to something. That's true. If you love, then the idea of doing whatever you want will never be a reality because we are bound, we are hemmed in, we are controlled by the thing that we love. And then the question becomes, will that thing kill us or will it save us? Is it the cookie dough or is it the salad? If it saves us, then is it really a straitjacket? Maybe that's exactly where we want to be. And it's a freedom that may not look like freedom from the outside, but it's absolutely freedom. You are free when you love, even though that love binds you to operating a certain way. Love for us is like water for the fish. Love is the environment that allows us to do what we were created to do. And freedom, Paul says, is serving other people in love. He continues that thought with the second verse that was read. He recites the word of God in Leviticus chapter 19. These are the same words that Jesus will later use. He will self he himself will teach the whole law. All of anybody read through Leviticus yet? Can't even say it. Leviticus? Yeah, you're reading through your daily Bible. Um, all those laws there, just chuck them. Jesus says every one of those laws can be summed up with this. You can keep every word with just this sentence. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And those words weren't just spoken by Jesus. They were lived by Jesus. I want you to think about who Jesus was. The creator of the world. The person that spoke the world into being. That's what John chapter 1 says. The person that has the keys of the kingdom in his hand. And he is supreme over the universe. Is he not free to do whatever he wants to do? Answer, yes. And what did that freedom look like? What did he use his supreme, colossal freedom to do? He used it to come here among frail, weak feeble humanity. He used his freedom to be constrained in the straitjacket of human flesh. His freedom looked like this. It looked like being turned over to authorities. It looked like being sentenced to death. It looked like being nailed to a cross that he could not escape. That's what Jesus's freedom looked like. And somebody can look at the cross and say, that's not free. Really? Who says so? To Jesus it was. Because he did it for us. 
He went there because he loved us. He gave up his freedoms for us out of love. And his giving up of his freedom means that I am free. I am free from guilt because I know where I stand. And I'm free from fear because I know what's coming. And I'm free not to do whatever I want, but I'm free for something. I'm free for loving you and loving God. True freedom is not doing anything you want. It's doing what you were designed to do in the environment in which you were designed to do it. A fish is free in the water. A bird is free in the air. A plant is free when it's constricted in the soil. A savior is free when he is nailed to a cross. And I am free when I am bound, hemmed in by love. And you are too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love that sent you to a cross, that held you there. Father, as we wrestle with this idea of what freedom means, would you help us to understand where we are most free and what that looks like? We thank you that Jesus gave up his freedoms on our behalf. He was enslaved. He was held captive. He was chained up. He was nailed. So that we could let, be let loose and free. Father, help us with the words of Paul. Let us not use our freedom to do whatever we want and to just, just destroy our lives. Let our freedom bind us to the right kind of actions to those around us that we love. Help us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And in this way, we will follow the one who loves us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.